What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the week 11 episode of the DFS MVP. I'm your host, TJ Hernandez, the director of DFS at 444.com. As always, with my co-host, Matt Savoka. If you are a new listener, what we do here on this podcast is give you our favorite values on the FanDuel and DraftKings main slate. We also dive into a theory topic to try to get you better at DFS overall. This week, we're going to be talking about small slate GPP strategy to get you prepared for next week's Thanksgiving slate. Before we get into everything today, make sure you're checking out our other DFS shows. Matt and I do a cash game review here on YouTube every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Every Saturday, we have a Yahoo DFS value show with Yahoo's Matt Harmon that drops on both the DFS MVP and the Yahoo uh, podcast feeds. And every Sunday morning, the DFS GPP last look with Jordan Vanek that is on the subscriber only Discord channel. That's 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern time. Get signed up for the Discord in the description below. Speaking of that Thanksgiving week schedule, uh, next week obviously will be a little bit different if you are a 4 for 4 subscriber. Uh, so for the Thanksgiving slate, we'll have full breakdowns. Matt will be doing the, the FanDuel breakdown for the full slate. I'll be doing the DraftKings breakdown. That'll be published on Wednesdays. We'll have showdown breakdowns for every single game, and we will have ownership and leverage scores uh, just like we do for the full slate for the Thanksgiving slate. All of the main slate content will be pushed to Saturday instead of Friday if you're a subscriber. And if you watch us here every week, this show will be on Saturday, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time instead of the regular time. So make sure if you're looking for us next Friday, we won't be here. Find us on Saturday. Enjoy your holiday. Enjoy uh, the next day digesting all the turkey and being hungover. Uh, we'll be back on Saturday. If you haven't signed up for the uh, DFS subscription yet, Rest of season price has dropped to $49. You can get an extra 10% off with the promo code DFSMVP. And if you are a betting man, WinBet is bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting. Get in on all of your favorite teams, players, and sports from boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport. We have what you need to win. Sign up today to receive a special offer. Risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app. Now, use the promo code 444, that's the number 4, F-4, the number 4, to claim your risk-free bet today. Matt, welcome to week 11, sir. Hey, TJ, great to be here. I wish yeah. the value plays had opened up maybe 24 <laughs> hours ago because maybe yeah. some of our answers had changed, yeah. but I'm really stoked to get into this, and I'm really excited for the theory segment because I think the Thanksgiving slate is some of the most fun you can have in DFS. Yeah, I think it's it's probably the most fun slate of the year because it's a full day where everybody's just locked into one game at a time. Like everybody's following the same games. We're all sweating the same action. So it's definitely a fun day. Uh, we did have a couple injuries, a couple sicknesses that we'll, we'll briefly touch on, uh, but we got those right before we started recording. But let's get into uh, what we do know is going to um, uh, be a very good value and a very popular game, starting with your quarterback this week. Yeah. All right. Everyone breathe a collective sigh of relief. That's what we're going to do about Patrick Mahomes yeah. and the Chiefs offense. Uh, okay. It's been a few days. It's been a few days. But as the underlying metrics showed us, these these Chiefs could figure this out. And they sure figured it out in a big way. Massive victory over the Raiders in a 41-14 victory. And we saw 8.1 yards per attempt for Mahomes on 50 mm -hmm. passes. So that's 405 classic Mahomesian ceiling game. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen on the main slate. Now they get the Cowboys, and it's the highest total game on the slate. It's the highest total game I can really remember in a minute here. Yeah. And I know Amari Cooper's out, and that might affect the line over the next 24 hours a little bit. But I still think the ceiling game is in the range of outcomes and might even be necessary if the Dallas offense shows up in this game. So I just, I'm going to Mahomes, who obviously showed us in production last week what the underlying metrics continued to show us 10th in the nfl in total qbr 11th in true passer rating which takes out throwaways and drops and he's fourth in total expected points added so compared to the average quarterback in every single game situation patrick mahomes is still absolutely elite he's worth his salary at 8300 on FanDuel and 7600 on DraftKings. And like I said, even without Cooper, I think that game has huge ceiling potential and offensive potential going into this one. 
Yeah, you're not going to get Mahomes um, much cheaper than this. Usually he's priced, you know, well above the field, and he's just right there with the other most um, highest sal- the highest salary quarterback. So, I mean, if you if you just look at it from a historical Mahomes salary perspective, he's a value. You mentioned one of the highest um, over-under games of the year, sitting at 56.5 right now. I, I think it's tied for the highest of the year. We've only had six other games with an implied or with an over-under of at least 55. This is only the third one with a spread of under three three points so the shootout potential um is obviously there uh this game obviously the values are going to be players that we want to plug into this game uh this is a a value show but from a gpp's perspective i think it's important to note that this is the latest game in in the late window starting it at 425 america's game of the week so if you're playing gpp's there are some um uh very uh heavy uh, late swap um, uh, opportunity that you should be taking advantage of. Basically, have contrarian plays early. Um, if they hit, you can play the chalky plays, the Mahomes, the Tyreeks, whatever. But um, if you miss on your early slate ga- games, you should either be swapping off this game or playing the contrarian plays in this game because it's going to be such a popular game. They're going to have such high ownership that you're really, even if you have Tyreek and he goes off for 40, if you're already well behind the field, you're not going to catch the field because so many people are going to have um, these players. Definitely a, a great point there. Love getting weird early in these with these yeah. awesome late games. Yeah, especially when there's nine early and only three late. Like it's such, uh, it, it makes it really easy to narrow down your late swap decisions. Uh, moving on to my value play at quarterback, Cam Newton at 7,500 on FanDuel and 5,100 on DraftKings against Washington as a three point favorite. And this is much more of a DraftKings play. I mean, he's viable. He's very much in play at $7,500 on FanDuel when all the top quarterbacks are $8,000 and above for the most part. Um, but I mean, he he obviously can do a lot of damage with his legs and be fine on FanDuel, but he is such a smash value on DraftKings. This is the only time I think maybe ever that I've only written up one quarterback for my DraftKings write-up. Uh, they're just he's he's priced so much further below anybody that projects even closely to him uh, that it just doesn't even make sense to take on the ceiling uh, plays in cash games, especially in a week where uh, we don't have a lot of free squares. We have running backs that are are decent values um we have one with mari cooper out we have a couple of values over there but nothing that's like like we had last week with, with ingram and dearness johnson so getting cam at 5100 on DraftKings is just um one of the most obvious plays in cash this year he has a value score that's 43 percent higher than any other quarterback that's our our proprietary value metric on on four for four that uh, kind of goes beyond just uh, point per dollar. So a 43% gap between him and the QB2 in terms of value is just astronomical. And then just from a matchup perspective, Washington is last in schedule adjusted points allowed to uh, to quarterbacks. They've allowed the seventh most rushing yards to, to the position, which is a little noisy because if you face rushing quarterbacks, you're going to give up more, obviously. But uh, they haven't stopped them either. So that that should be fine for Cam. And, and there's a lot of talk about him having a, a limited um, uh, passing responsibilities, which makes sense because he's barely been on the team for a week. And even Matt Rules came out and said that he doesn't know how many of the the complex routes they're going to ask him to throw. But when you have somebody like CMC, I don't think it matters much because all of those short passes to CMC that he does all his work with, uh, Cam Newton's going to get passing yards and passing touchdowns credit for those. So uh, Cam pretty much in a, in a smash value spot for me here. Any any um, thoughts about playing Cam in, in tournaments, or do you think he just doesn't have quite the upside? I mean, at least on, on FanDuel. On, on DraftKings, you can make the argument for salary, but um, in, any thoughts yeah. on him on FanDuel? I have no qualms about playing him on either site, especially in tournaments. I think the one thing we have to mention is that we really just have no idea what the shoulder is like over the course of 40 throws in an NFL game. We just have no idea. Like, he could literally blow his shoulder out on his first game. We don't know that. I'm certainly not predicting that, but it just speaks to the level of uncertainty. And one thing I will Mm -hmm. say specifically about playing him on DraftKings when you look at just a simple graph of our value metric compared to salary, as you would expect, as salary increases, so too generally does value for our players. Obviously, yeah. there's some variation there, but the only exception to that rule is quarterbacks on DraftKings, where if you just mm-hmm. tried to draw a line, it would literally be 
uh, a, a straight line a to show that it's essentially random where value is compared to expectations. It's not like that for other positions. So if there's any position on any platform where I'm sort of throwing salary out the window and not counting it as an expectation, it's quarterbacks on DraftKings. Yeah, especially just because it is, like I said, it's it's usually so hard to find spots to save salary um, on DraftKings outside of maybe defense or tight end. So that's a really right. good point. Uh, moving on to running backs, that's one of the the positions that we talked about. We had some late breaking news. Um, Alvin Kamara practice Wednesday was downgraded to did not practice on Thursday officially rolled out on Friday. So we're going to get Mark Ingram as a value again at 6,800 Fandle, 5,400 on DraftKings. We won't get into him much um, specifics, but just note that um, Kamara is out. And if we would have got that news earlier, one of us probably would have been talking about Ingram, but we have a couple other good values starting with your guy. Yeah, not quite as good as last week with the Ingram Johnson mm -hmm. uh, play, but pretty darn similar in AJ Dillon opening up for us with, Aaron Jones officially ruled out. He's probably going to be out another week, too. Some days there kind of is a correct answer to this. And in this case, it is kind of easy with A.J. Dillon being a value play compared to just the salary-based expectation. Before the Kamara news, which may change things, he's the number one value play on both DraftKings and FanDuel. 24 opportunities last week on just 54% of the Packers snaps. Obviously, Jones goes down in the middle of that game. He's got 30 touch upside here, no question about it. And he's been elusive on a per touch basis this season. 12th in yards created per touch via player profiler. He's eighth in expected points added, 16th in total rushes of 10 plus yards. We obviously saw them use a high draft pick on AJ Dillon. This is really his big opportunity here. And Minnesota, his matchup this week is almost exactly league average in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. We're not changing our projection based on touches and their previous efficiency there. And they're quietly 29th one of the worst teams in the NFL in yards per carry allowed. So I really like the matchup here for A.J. Dillon as well. Again, it's one of the highest total games. He's got a ton of projected touches. This one's pretty easy here. Yeah, the, uh, Pat James and his write-up today on 444 made, made a point just about these situations and how the irony is that even though A.J. Dillon isn't the starter, he's just such a... He, he's a better value than Aaron Jones and Aaron Jones is out because the, the running back behind him isn't going to take on the A.J. Dillon role where A.J. Dillon can take on both the A.J. Dillon and the, the Aaron Jones role. So this is definitely a smash spot, even though like unlike last week where it was um, Dearness Johnson uh, all week and then we got Mark Ingram news late and then there was nobody else in their salary range. We actually have a lot of running backs in similar salary ranges or actually lower salary ranges than AJ Dillon, but none of them quite project for the workload as Dillon. So from a value perspective, it's easily Dillon. Um, I, I don't think that we will, I, I, I shouldn't say I don't think because we can't predict perfectly. It will be way less surprising to see lineups succeed in GPPs without Dylan than it was to see lineups without Dearness last week, just because there are so many running backs in that salary range. One of those running backs is James Conner at 7,200 on FanDuel, 6,100 on DraftKings against the Seahawks, favored by one and a half. Chase Edmonds obviously still on IR in the two games without Chase Edmonds. James Conner has seen at least 77% of the snaps he's totaled 39 touches in those two games with nine targets total in those games so he's getting a lot of that passing down work that's very important and unlike last week where they just got blown out versus carolina and james connor lost a lot of his um, opportunity a lot of his upside kyler likely back this week makes it way more likely that he doesn't fall into that scenario and obviously they're favored so they're expected to not just not be in a negative game flow but actually be in a favorable game flow seattle's 31st in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to um to running backs while ranked in the top half of the league against quarterbacks and wide receivers so they're very bad against uh, running backs and they're actually a bit of a funnel on top of that yeah, and I think people are getting a little nervous about this game against Seattle. Russell Wilson didn't look good. The shootout potential theoretically goes down. I'm kind of looking at it that the volatility, the range of outcomes just gets a little bit wider here. So mm -hmm. when you're just talking about straight value in salary per projected touch, Connor is obviously a really strong play. But then when you factor in the 
quiet upside of the fact that this could just be a typical Seattle, Arizona shootout game that we saw last year. I think it's a really nice spot. Yeah. And, and obviously um, Wilson was, was off last week and that game against green Bay was um, just a slow, gross, uh, unproductive fantasy game, unless you had AJ Dillon somehow, um, which people did in GPPs, but um he, he still was throwing it deep and, and not as accurately as he usually does, but they were still taking shots. And if you're going to be taking shots, then uh, when those do hit, you're, that's where you're all of a sudden in this back and forth game just because of one or two plays. So as long as they're letting uh, Wilson chuck it, even though maybe it not might be as often as we like them to, there's he has one of the best wide receiver duos in the league. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about that side of it either uh as we move on to wide receivers another situation that we just found out about um maybe an hour before we started recording this amari cooper tested positive for covid so not only is he going to be out uh on sunday but they have a turnaround thanksgiving game thursday he's missing their next two games uh for our purposes this week what that really opens up everybody who's going to be playing cd already michael gallup is the one that probably gets the biggest bump 5400 on fandle 4200 on dk so again not going to spend a lot of time on that but just note um that if we got that news 24 hours ago omari uh, michael gallup's a guy we definitely would have been talking about uh let's talk about a wide receiver that is uh more in the top tier uh salary a guy that you like that's just been balling all year yeah, he sure has been balling all year. And our value metrics think he is a smash play on mm-hmm. both sites. Wide receiver three in DraftKings value, wide receiver two in FanDuel value. Essentially, the value metric believes Samuel to be in the absolute premium tier of wide receivers while being priced a little bit below that. So just comparing him to salary-based expectations, he looks really, really strong. And just like I was talking about with quarterbacks not being a linear relationship with Valerie, value and salary, they there is a strong relationship with wide receiver with a few exceptions like Samuel, who has been targeted on 35% of his routes over the last five weeks. So you look at just five targets last week. Well, in a positive game script, he only ran a total of 16 routes. So all of a sudden, that five for 97 and one looks really impressive. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he puts the exclamation point on that game with that 40-plus yard catch and run against the Rams. He's got eight-plus targets in every other game than last week this season and nine-plus in all but two. He's number one in the NFL in yards after catch, just as he proved last week. Number two in receiving yards, number two in yards per route run. If we didn't have Cooper Cup in fantasy football, we would be talking even more about the incredible third-year breakout of Debo Samuel. And he's got Jacksonville, a huge pass funnel, 27th in yards per pass attempt allowed, and 27th in points allowed per play. This is a great matchup. I'm going to be mentioning them a little bit later. I just really like the 49ers this weekend. Debo's the best value of them all. Yeah, even with Kittle getting a 37% target share last week, Samuel still saw a 26% target share. So they can thrive together. They actually have one of the best passing game schedules down the stretch. Um, So I I don't think, I think both of them can coexist and be very good. Uh, I mean, he might not, Debo might not get like the 34% target share he's seen, but he's still going to see like 27, 28%, which is still elite. We're kind of splitting hairs if you're worried about that. And then on top of it, he got five carries last week. So with Elijah Mitchell doubtful, he probably still gets mixed into the run game or the Niners just decide they're going to throw more uh, because I think Jimmy G can have a lot of success against Jacksonville. Jacksonville has been thrown against at a top 10 rate in neutral game script. So, I mean, I I do think Debo still gets worked in the run game, but but without Mitchell, who's been their workhorse, I mean, they could just have a, a, a relatively for San Francisco, at least pass heavy game script. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, yeah. I'd love to see the way that he's been balling out this year. 
Yeah, Jimmy G sneaky and, and super large field stuff. Uh, Devontae Adams at $8,400 on both sites against Minnesota in a game that I actually think has a, a lot of shootout potential. The over-under is only 47.5, but I think Minnesota can really push Green Bay's pace. I mean, we don't, we're don't we not too concerned about Devontae Adams as a value play. He's going to get his 30 to 30%, uh, 33% of targets, whatever it is, 35%. Double-digit targets is always in the range of outcomes. He's going to get his. He has probably the safest floor of any wide receiver, not named Cup, maybe the same as as Debo. Um, but the point of his ceiling this week and why he's at the top, uh, like slightly above Tyreek in that super high salary range is because I, I think, well, one, because it's just going to be more concentrated towards him. But Minnesota, one, they've passed at a surprisingly high high rate top 10 in um, neutral game scripts so when green bay like green bay needs to be pushed to have these shootout games they're not going to do it they're going to rely on efficiency they play relatively slow actually play really slow um, but they need the other team to push them to have these shootouts minnesota is they're pretty high in in pace in both plays per game and neutral pace and their scoring correlates more with their opponent scoring than any other team in the league uh, if we look at their their points compared to their opponent's points, a positive correlation of 0.71. Like that's almost perfect. And it's, we don't it's see correlations that big in football ever. And it's just, they're like, they are just they're They're on and their defense gives up, can give up points in a hurry or their offense is off and teams just don't need to push against them. Um, so I actually think this game is very um, valuable from a stacking perspective. Because Minnesota is 25th in schedule just for fantasy points allowed to wide receivers, Devontae Adams has upside because of matchup, but also just because I really just like this game um, from a correlation perspective. And for again, a little GPP note, it's just a fantastic leverage opportunity off of A.J. Dillon, who's going to be the most popular player on the slate. Again, unlike Dearness last week or unlike Ingram last week where we don't have obvious leverage off of those spots. Both those past games are bad. Um, you kind of wanted correlation with the other teams in those. In this game, we have very obvious leverage opportunities, and that's the past games because both past games are very efficient. Um, but start with Devontae, especially if you're playing cash games. I dig that call a lot. And also another differentiator you might add is if you play Devontae, Dylan and then a run back option, not necessarily with the quarterback because the game stack situation looks pretty solid there. Uh, okay, yeah, so you this can definitely, one, you can definitely uh, mini yeah. this game for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to. Um, this one, I'm not sure I would have had here, but as I started to dig into the research, I, I, I'm going to stand with my conviction. I kind of, I kind of like it more than I did uh, earlier in the day here. I'm going with Brandon Cooks, and obviously. This Houston, Texas, this Houston and Tennessee game doesn't look like one of the most appealing games on the slate. We know the way that Tennessee wants to win, especially with Julio Jones shut down. And, you know, I, I get that Houston has no interest in winning right now, let alone pushing pace yeah. and temp, tempo here. But Brandon Cooks got a massive target share. Once again, it was really the best target uh, total he's gotten with Tyrod Taylor under center. And that was something I was kind of waiting to see from that pair. We actually saw him get those big target totals early in the year with Davis Mills when he came in. Tennessee still ranked dead last in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. That definitely matters. As I said, that target monster last week, 13 targets. He's okay. Middle of the pack wide receiver, 15 in FanDuel value and wide receiver 13 value but i think this is a really important tier to try to break down because he's competing in salary tier with players like dj moore tyler lockett devonta smith who all have capable capabilities of having efficient games obviously their ceiling games are probably larger than brandon cooks but comparative brandon cooks just gets more opportunities and when we're looking at trying to get value and just trying to figure out where we can guarantee our touches of our players. I think Brandon Cooks looks really solid in this mid-salary tier this week. I'm going to be going to him quite a bit. Yeah, and he has opportunity to um, to score really quickly um, now that he has Tyrod. Not that Tyrod's like 
gonna blow the doors off the game or anything but he is top 10 in air yards per game brandon cooks is and titans where they have been really weak is against the deep ball they're 27th in qbr allowed on passes of 20 or more yards so if they can connect on on one of those um obviously cooks does carry some upside and and i i like him probably the most in that tier as well um, Devonte is going to get the Marshawn Lattimore treatment. Tyler's uh, Lockett is dealing with um, uh, Russell Wilson's injury, and then who was the other one we mentioned? DJ Moore with the. Oh, Cam what do you think? Center. What do you think about DJ Moore with Cam? I hey, I'm really excited. I think the ceiling is as big as it's ever been, and yeah, Moore's a player that has gotten seven plus targets, but yeah. we have no idea. He's a brand new quarterback. For sure, definitely. Um, yeah, I think more is – I almost wrote up more as a cash game play, and then just because of Cam, um, I, I didn't I didn't do it. Um, but a guy that I did write up as a cash game play is T. Higgins at $6,500 on FanDuel, $5,800 on DraftKings against the Raiders in a game with a 50-point over-under where the Bengals are slight favorites, giving them the higher implied point total. Over the last five weeks, Cincinnati's top three in neutral passing rate. And in that span, that's resulted in T. Higgins and Jamar Chase both being up in a target per game over the previous games before they hit that um, that neutral passing rate. Both are top 12 in target share over the last month. The Raiders are top 10 in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to uh, wide receivers, but they're actually allowing the fifth highest QBR on passes under 20 yards. So that kind of fits into T Higgins strikes where he's really going to work that the intermediate um, range of the field. And I, I think the Raiders uh, ranking is, I think it's a little bit just of an aberration. They've, it just feels like they've been playing over their head a little bit. And then they play a good offense like the chiefs last week and just get smoked. And it just kind of felt like teams were knocking on the door about to do that to them. And they've just been able to really defend the deep ball, maybe even be lucky against the deep ball and haven't had these boom games against them. Um, but I, I think I, I don't have any data for this. I've just been growing up watching the Raiders my whole life. And it feels like the wheels are about to fall off for the Raiders. <laughs> I will give them credit. The PFF currently ranks them as the top pass rush team yeah. defensive grade. That matters in football if you can get Definitely. to the quarterback, yeah. but it's something where we can't guarantee that. Not to say Cincinnati's line has been significantly better this year, but they are closer to the middle of the pack than the dead last we've seen them in recent years. Yeah, I just think with um, with Mixon, with uh, Zoma in there, I, I, and then not even mentioning Tyler Boyd, I think Raiders have a lot of problems with these weapons, even if they are able to get a pass rush this week. But uh, T is the guy that stands out with his with his volume lately, and he hasn't even scored it. Like he, I. I I used him as a correlation play. Like he's the reason I got to Nick Chubb and Nick Chubb's big week. And he did enough to carry a lot of GPP team, not carry GPP teams, but keep GPP teams afloat in that week. So he's like, he's scoring, but he just hasn't popped. So if he finds the end zone this week, like I think it could be just with one touchdown, I think it'd be, I could be like a, a 25 point DK game. Like I think it could go over like 10 catches and a bonus in this one. I dig it. Uh, who are you liking at tight end this week? Well, we mentioned this team before, and we mentioned this matchup, but I really like George Kittle with San Francisco 49ers. And obviously, we could say if we're going up in salary, we could play Kelsey. Yeah. You know, Kelsey has managed to stay consistent through all of the turmoil on offense for the Chiefs, so that's a different story. Kittle was targeted on 38% of routes over his last two games since returning from injury. That's fantastic. TDs in back-to-back -back games for George Kittle. Did you know he only had five career touchdowns heading into this season? It's preposterous. That means that 28.5% of his career touchdowns came in the last two weeks. That's that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, typical yak monster. We're seeing the old Kittle is basically what I saw. 4.6 yards after the catch per target. He's third among tight ends in total yards after the catch, despite being on IR for half the season. And he's playing Jacksonville, who obviously we mentioned. Bottom five in adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing offenses. 25th against tight ends. 25th in yards allowed per pass attempt. 
26th in points allowed per play. He's the second value, a, sec, a tight end two in value in FanDuel, a little bit lower, sixth on DraftKings, basically saying the salary is worth it for Kittle. Uh, I really yeah. like it. Second highest floor and ceiling score, too, at the position. Yeah, yeah, you're getting enough of a discount against Kelsey where um, it, it does make a difference, I think, to, to go down to Kittle. Uh, and the again, just the the upside that we haven't seen um, uh, from Kittle in a while, it looks like it's back there. And again, just attacking this Jacksonville defense in a game where I do think that they are going to throw a lot more than usual um, there. I don't How do you feel about playing them together, him and Debo? I, I'm not crazy about it um, because at the game environment's not something I feel like I have to target. But I'm not I'm not totally against it. I feel like yeah. you probably get 18, 20 targets out of the two, plus the yeah. rushing upside for Debo. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think you could I don't I don't know if I would I would maybe you play them together in cash. I, I think it could be an, an interesting like mini correlation, a wide receiver tight end correlation, like where you don't play anyone else in the game. I think that that could be kind of interesting. Um I I'm going all the way down in salary at tight end. Cole Komet, 5,100 on Fandle, 3,400 on DraftKings. Again, this is more of a DraftKings play because you don't necessarily need to play down, pay down on Fanduel at tight end, at least in cash games. But I do think it has some GPP implications because um, I've mentioned this a couple of times in this podcast. We often see that these plays like Cole Komet, he might end up being like 15, 16% large field tournaments on DraftKings and then be sub 5% on FanDuel because you don't have to pay down. So, I mean, if he's, if he is getting that kind of, um, uh, juice on the DraftKings side, he obviously does have big games um, in his range of outcomes because he's not going to be chalky if he doesn't, and that can hit on Fanduel as well. People just don't need to play him, so I, I think it, it's super interesting from that respect. But just from a projection standpoint, we saw before their buy, before their Week Ten buy, Justin Fields had arguably his best game um, as a passer through for 291 yards on. Uh, over 10 yards per attempt. And over the last month, 23% of Justin Fields' targets have went to Cole Komet. That's third among all tight ends. And he has seen at least six targets in three straight games. Obviously, the Bears aren't a team that are going to throw a ton, but teams are throwing at the second highest rate in neutral scenarios against the Ravens and the Ravens are allowing the six most schedule adjusted fantasy points to the tight end position. Additionally, with Allen Robinson being out, we could see Cole Komet get an even bigger target share this week. Yeah, I think this might be your, uh, my favorite of your calls this week, if only because I don't think enough people realize that Fields may have actually turned a corner here yeah. and kind of gotten it against the Steelers defense that, yeah, was down a couple of players, but... They are pretty tough still, maybe not 2020 level, but it seemed to click at least for a second there for Justin Fields, and he targeted Komet heavily. I'm definitely taking advantage of the salary before it rises, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, and Chicago was also down Matt Nagy, right? So if he gets down with Nagy, it's all systems go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's really the whole thing, holding the whole offense back. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, Another injury, um, we have a quarterback that um, is expected to be out to this week, and you like the defense playing against their backup. Yeah, obviously on FanDuel, it's a question of can you get up there because it's 5000 in salary, but the Browns just are facing Tim Boyle. Do I have to go on? I guess I will, but it's just Who? one thing I do want to mention as I talk about why the team playing against Tim Boyle is a good play uh, is that we just got to shout out to the, the relative defense value of defenses compared to other positions that is the most important part of the value metric on 444.com it is position agnostic it's supposed to be there to help you decide what positions are important to value and when you look at their top value among defenses at around 1.9 on DraftKings and FanDuel here are the players they are clustered around on each platform in our value metric on DraftKings, it's players like Zach Ertz, Joe Burrow, Hunter Renfro, and Kirk Cousins. On FanDuel, it's Jarvis Landry, Marvin Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Jimmy Garoppolo. These are players in good spots in fine in fine DFS situations, but these aren't lock button right. must play 
players. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away here is that if you're aching because you can't quite fit the Browns into your sal- into your uh, roster, then you can't fret about it. You should probably be valuing some other players' value more than the Browns. Still, it's a very obvious spot. Uh, Detroit is 28th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing DSTs anyway this season, and now they have a backup quarterback. Uh, Their fourth best in the league, Cleveland is, in yards per carry allowed. So I see it as an obvious situation that no one else is seeing it otherwise, but don't fret if you can't get there. It's a great spot, though. Yeah, I don't know how... um how much people are going to force the issue on FanDuel in terms of getting up to the Browns. Um, It's definitely very difficult to do in cash games, and we've seen it kind of both ends of the spectrum. We've seen expensive uh, defenses on FanDuel get a little bit of ownership, but we've also seen teams in similar situations get none. Uh, I I do think either way that uh, they are going to be very popular in DraftKings, and and I I think bringing – Nick Chubb along with them is a very interesting situation for GPPs. But for, for cash game purposes, I mean, that 3100 on DK, like they should be priced at $4,000. It's just, a, um, as we've said before, a, a fundamental um, mispricing over there. Like that 30, like we see the top defense, we've seen top defenses go over $4,000 this year, and, and they're in the best spot of the week. Um, even before we got official news that Jared Goff was out there favored by double digits. So I don't know how you don't um, have a ton of them over there. Uh, at a slight discount to them on DraftKings, a really big discount on FanDuel. The Panthers are $4,100 on FanDuel, $2,700 on DraftKings. They're favored by three at home against Washington. We have the Panthers uh, projected as a top three value on both sites. They are the elite of elites in terms of pass rush. They're first in um, adjusted sack rate on defense. And before that, that what I think was a fluke game against Tampa Bay, Washington hadn't scored more than 13 points in their previous three games. So this is a um, offense that has an extremely low floor, and we've seen what the Panthers can do when they're able to generate pressure on a quarterback that isn't um, very good. We saw what they did to the the Arizona Cardinals last week with Colt McCoy, and Heineke has had some spots where he'll go for multi-turnovers. So I love the Panthers as a discount play in this spot. Yeah. Very easy here. There's a there's a lot of outside of football narrative stuff that's cool about this game, but yeah. as a actual football game, I think the Panthers have a chance to run over Washington. I completely agree with you. Uh, fluke game. Uh, we'll we'll be singing a different tune if Washington suddenly looks like a defensive juggernaut this week. But I think the Panthers' defense looks really strong on both sides. Yeah, as, as long as um, Cam doesn't do anything too crazy or dumb, I, th- I think they'll be. I think they'll be fine. I think so. Too. Uh, before we get on to our theory segment this week, I want to tell you about the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season. It's Underdog Fantasy and their brand new Pick'em game. Just pick over or under on your favorite or your least favorite player's stats, and you can win up to twenty times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players, and you could take home some cold, hard cash. Head to 4for4.com slash underdog to claim your free 4for4 four four pro subscription and get $10 in bonus cash to play this weekend at Underdog. Matt, this is going to be a very fun theory segment, and this is another one that we've ran back um, a couple times on this podcast. I think we might have done it last year, but we've definitely done it leading up to the Thanksgiving slate. We won't talk to you guys before the Thanksgiving slate kicks off, so we wanted to get into some small slate GPP theory so that when our articles come out next week about the Thanksgiving slate, you can have an idea on how to attack these small slate GPPs. Um, the games are just... It's just such a different game, and and the game inside the game 
of DFS is like really where the edge is at these days. Every everybody has access to a lineup generator. Everybody knows who the best values are. Um, if you are only playing main slate or playing larger slates and um, not dabbling, I don't think anybody's playing prime time anymore. But playing something like afternoon only um, games or like the the turbo slates or something like that, you probably don't play any three game slates besides Thanksgiving and. Um, it's just a completely different animal and the strategies and, and theories that we take from large field full slate GPPs aren't going to apply here. If you try to do something like play, um, you know, a, a wide receiver three, um, just because they're sub 5%, uh, you're probably going to be dead in the water unless that wide receiver three is on a really good offense. But um, let's get into just kind of some general overviews on small slate GPPs before we get into specifics, how you think about, and we're, when we say small slate, Let's just, we'll define it as like a two to three game slate. I think once it gets up to four, you actually could kind of start playing with some like cash game line of building stuff. Six, definitely. But I, I'm going to call it like two to three games. We have three on Thanksgiving. So let's, let's call it that. Okay, sure. I mean, I think that's a great definition too. And I think for those who really only play main slate NFL DFS for the most part, they may not realize that a large part of the game you're playing, the slate that you're playing is the amount of games in that right. slate. And we're right. always breaking down the players and the best game environments, but that's because our game with 10 to 12, sometimes 13 games on the main slate is identifying the best spots. Well, that filtration process is already done in a two mm -hmm. or three game sl slate. So my macro view on things is really three pronged. I value game flows as much as I value player projections. Yeah. I'll go into what I mean by in the specifics of that in a minute. I almost ignore typical roster construction rules. Uh, I'm obviously paying attention to correlations. We've talked about that in every single theory segment, but I'll go into some of the ways I break the rules, I say in quotation marks. And then my third prong is identify the field's key decision points and attempt to make game theory optimal decisions. I believe we've talked about this once before on one of the theory segments where there's sort of a, I've heard this uh, called level three DFS thinking, where if level one is what is the player going to do in this contest? And level two is what is your opponent going to do with those players in this contest? Then level three is what do you do with that understanding of what your opponent is going to yeah. do. And I think those inflection points, those decision points are really where small field tournaments are won. Yeah, this is, this is really the, um, this gets really close to the heads up poker analogy. It's the, the, he knows that I know that he knows I have this. So how do I, what do I do with that information? Um, there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of that, especially depending on the size of the field. Um, the, the, um, that you're playing like something like a 100 man field on like, these are my favorite weeks because I already play short, uh, like, um, small field tournaments. So when we have a three game slate and you can play some of these higher stakes, single entries, like under 200 man, like you, we, we know what our opponents are going to do in a full slate. When we have three games, we really know what they're, they're going to do. So there's a ton of meta game in these smaller field, um, in the larger field stuff. Um, it, it's some of these more general topics we'll talk about, but regardless of the size that you're playing, a couple things that I think that, um, people that aren't used to playing these size slates should be very aware of is number one, no matter what, we only have three games. There's still six teams, um, so obviously it's it's not going to be as extreme as something like Showdown where you're going to have hundreds of duped lineups, but you will have some duped lineups. Um, there's go even in GPPs, like you see it in cash in the main slate, but um, in GPPs you'll still have duped lineups. Um, there will be lots of overlap, which leads to very high variance. Obviously, if the majority of your, if there's only three or four very obvious value plays and those guys are going to be in 50% of lineups, we'll talk about briefly, um, it's just more variant. So even if your process is the best, there's just more variant. So the, like the, the general just takeaway is play way more GPPs, less cash game, less money in play. I, I don't even know if it's worth playing cash games. Um, I, I think some people might argue maybe, 
I would say no, just play like a super small percentage of your bankroll and only play GPPs. The only thing I'm really doing on these super short slates, and it's it's actually something I already do on, on my main slates, but just a little bit more here. I'm just using like 50-50s or double ups just to hedge my tournament lineup. So whereas um, I'm like, because the slate is so small, if I'm playing a, a $100 uh single entry lineup i might just throw that in a like a 25 maybe even 50 but that might be getting too close but like a 25 dollar double up just so if my lineup's okay I, I don't lose my my full 100 bucks or something like that yeah i think that makes a lot of sense uh, especially because it's turkey day we're doing other things we're eating food we want to sit and watch uh obviously you know there are games that the late swap is still going to yeah. be implemented we're not saying don't do those things yeah. but yeah. i do love the idea of just like taking a strong stand in GPPs and then hedging with cash games with slightly less bankroll just so you can have a have fun with it as much as uh, we want to make money here. Yeah, I am um, 100% of favor in all of you taking your phone out at the dinner table, no matter what your family <laughs> says and doing late swap. Um, you could tell them I said so. You could play this clip for them. Say it's very important and that this is a work-related task. Um, you talked about game flow and, and player projections. Uh, talk a little bit about how you um, uh, perceive those two things because – uh, I, I think player projections are um, not they're, – they're still valuable, but I think they lose some value on these slates. Yeah, just think about it logically for a minute. Even if you aren't a big data person or anything like that, our projections are honed and back-tested over many, many weeks and many, many years. But one of the reasons that we're able to do that is we're able to use large sample sizes of the NFL's past. When we yeah. don't have that large sample size, like on a three-game slate, we're going to see higher variance, a larger difference in general from the projections to the actual scores. That's just mm -hmm. the way that football goes in general. Yeah. So what can we do to combat that? We need to be building lineups that take into account specific game flows. And what can be really helpful, particularly in tournaments, is building lineups that take into account game flows that aren't necessarily impossible, but aren't the most probable either. For instance, you know, let's take, for example, this Las Vegas-Cincinnati game coming up this week, where there's a relatively high total. The passing game for Cincinnati looks strong. The running game for Cincinnati looks strong. There are multiple ways where you could play that differently than the field. That's magnified when there's only three options of game flows. So one way that's just really simplistic to look at it is look at underdog-focused game flows where the mm -hmm. underdog surprisingly gets ahead. Using that same example, what if the Raiders, who are only, I think it's one or one and a half point underdogs right now, get a few lucky bounces and suddenly that game goes with a totally different game flow uh, I'll finish out the metaphor with, and suddenly Josh Jacobs becomes a much stronger play <laughs> when in the main slate consideration, hint, hint. he's barely on our radar. Yeah. Uh, so, and then from there, once you use that underdog strategy to build out a new core based on your specific thought of game flow, then you bring in that chunk of chalk strategy that we've talked about before. What is the field saying is popular and a good play? Fill out the rest of your roster with that and you're pretty much good to go. Yeah, to your point about um, projections having more volatility on, on this size slate, I, one thing that comes to mind is if you are projecting, say, 30 quarterbacks on um, for the week, you're, you're going to have a uh, get very close to a, a normal distribution of hits and misses. Um, whereas if you're only projecting six of them, you can legit get all six wrong if the game flows flip unexpectedly. And it's not hard for three game flows to flip. So if you're leaning into those um, unexpected scenarios more, and, and like you said, leaning into um, the underdogs, maybe not the biggest underdogs, but the slight underdogs where it's um, it's it's very likely to flip, then we we can, can uh, really gain some really quick leverage on the field. And, and just to kind of build on what you talked about, the, the difference between playing something like the the three game slate and a main slate, um, you know, as you mentioned, people are going to be very narrowly focused on just a couple of games. And that's going to have a direct impact on the ownership of these um, games. And a lot of people aren't used to playing. They're used to having um, 
relatively flat ownership distributions, especially this year, all the positions were barely seeing anybody ever go over 30%. On these short slates, you're going to see ownership go through the roof on the chalk players. And I say through the roof, I don't mean 40%. I mean 50, 60, 70, sometimes 80%. If we have a, a, a clear RB1 on the slate, even in the biggest GPPs, he's going to be in 70 or 80% of lineups. Um, you're going to have quarterbacks, tight ends, and defenses that are in 50% of lineups. And we just don't have those type of leverage opportunities on full slate. So if you're not recognizing that immediately and looking for spots to gain massive leverage with just one tight end or one quarterback or one defense where we never have that on the main slate, you're already behind the field. I mean, I, I think it was, was last year's slate where we went down to two games where the difference between first place and a like 30 way chop for second place was just switching the defense and leaving a thousand dollars on the board. That's literally the only difference. Um, so those leverage opportunities are, are so insanely important because you could switch off like the optimal that everybody might be running out in a small field and just switch the defense. And you might be thinking, well, somebody's going to be smart enough just to switch to this crappy defense. They're not going to, um, that like, those are, those are, are things that, um, you really need to be thinking about in slates like this. And, and it's going to lead into some very, um, um, unusual roster constructions, I think. Yep, and that's a perfect segue to my next tenant here with small field tournaments where I almost ignore typical roster construction rules. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know what some of the more typical NFL roster construction rules are. We're pairing quarterback with a wide receiver. We're possibly running back. We're possibly running a skinny stack of another game. We're correlating running backs and defenses. We're quarterback mm -hmm. correlating tight ends and running backs. So... I don't say I ignore that in the sense that I won't do that, but I will add on things that aren't necessarily optimal in a, in trying to win a large field tournament in larger slates. Yeah. Let me give you some more specific examples about strategies I'm talking about. Onslaught stacks become even more viable because there could be one team that it's storming over one other team is the most important offensive production of the day. Uh, in that same regard, heavy game stacking. If there's a huge shootout, similar to last year where the Matt Stafford-led Detroit Lions played against the Deshaun Watson-led Houston Texans, and there were fireworks on both sides of the ball offensively, and the fireworks on the other side, on the other game, I should say, were on the ground and by the defenses. So in that regard, I'm also willing to play negative correlations, yeah. strange combinations of players, wide receivers versus their the mm -hmm. defense that they're facing quarterbacks and their running backs on a team quarterback and a running back bring back or even a quarterback versus the defense that they're facing these things are totally in play in a slate uh, a game with just two to three excuse me a slate with two to three games on it yeah the ones that really stand out to me are like yeah, those those onslaught stacks like you if you can definitely pinpoint a game and play eight of your nine players from from one game or seven of your nine players from one game. That is very much um, in play on these slates. And then like like running back, running back is another one. Running back, opposing running back, I'm sorry, is another one that, that you can play on these uh, shorter slates. I, I think you might have even seen in, in some unique situations, same team running backs be used, especially on, on FanDuel. Um, but I mean, like a defense... An early defensive touchdown can spark the opposing offense when they're all, all of a sudden in catch-up mode. Even if you have that quarterback and the quarterback loses an interception point on that um, pick six, and if you have that defense, like that correlation can spark a shootout. So you can have a defense included in your onslaughts. Um, I, I don't know if there's necessarily a way to um, – pinpoint which ones those are but it's definitely not a faux pas in these spots and i think some of the the biggest mistakes people make on these slates is overlooking all of the things you just listed uh those just being comfortable with either onslaughts or heavy game stacks or negative correlations and instead going back to the and this is where probably one of the biggest um main slate to short slate errors happens is undervaluing those low owned actual starters and overemphasizing those really long shot dart throws. Um, like again, just a, 
any wide receiver on the slate that is go- or running back on the slate that is going to be sub 10% that gets normal volume, that's more valuable than like the wide receiver four on the Cowboys or whatever, just because they have a high implied point total. Like if you have a running back that is the starter that's in line for 15 to 20 touches and he's going to see sub 10% ownership, he's more valuable than a 1% wide receiver on the team with the highest implied point total. And I think on, on main slates, people are like, okay, how can I get this Byron Pringle or, or Nicole Hardman? Like you don't necessarily need those plays. Like if they hit, yeah, that's obviously fantastic, but you usually don't need to, to um, go that that deep in the barrel, like it's a small slate, but it's not a showdown slate, right? We don't need um, a backup running back to hit. Um, and then I, I think people are very—it's kind of the same thing you talked about the onslaughts and, and, and the heavy stacking type um, scenarios. I think people just when they do that, you're either you're one you're going all in <clears throat> on a couple of players, or you're just you might end up fading some of the most popular players. If you're in love with the game that doesn't have the chalk running back, you might have a fear of fading that most popular play. Um, if that's your fear, you probably shouldn't be be playing this slate. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it can be really easy to look at a lineup generator, um, select your player pool, and try to have a little bit of everybody. Like that's just we talk about not trying to cover all your bases on the main slate. Um, if you do it on this slate. Um, it's, it's not going to be good because it's going to feel viable and you're going to spend all day and night and uh, Thanksgiving morning trying to uh, figure out all of these perfect combinations. Like you just have to plant a few flags and, and really just go with those reads. Um, and, and the way to plant those flags is, is just some, some things like, um, positional scarcity. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think positional scarcity often comes into the... First of all, how dare you diss my Malik Taylor stacks that are going to take down this Thanksgiving slip? Yeah. I'm joking. Uh, yeah, it, this is a huge point in small slates because we can literally break down the positions and realize, oh, we're after a few players, we're out of viable options here. Yeah. Last year, again, two games, I believe it was Detroit and Houston and Dallas and Washington. And so there were only really two viable bell cow running backs in the entire slate because you remember detroit's running game last year and uh, certainly houston's and then last year was gibson and ezekiel elliott so mm-hmm. we had a massive massive differential in expected ownership between elliott and gibson the two starting running backs from that game so your decision is really at that point less about what do you think those two players will do versus what else has my lineup done already <laughs> that I need? Yeah. Uh, do I need something contrarian to occur or can I just roll with the chalk? This year, I'm already seeing something pop up where we have Chicago and Detroit, Las Vegas and Dallas, Buffalo and New Orleans. We have a scarcity of alpha wide receivers. We've mm. got the Allen and Diggs stack. We've got the Prescott C.D. Lamb stack. We already know Amari Cooper is ruled out here, which is going to coalesce even more ownership around those two players. So your decision points around those stacks and those two wide receivers are going to make a huge difference in your profit this week. It doesn't usually get that direct. What do I do with Stefan Diggs and C.D. Lamb? But in small slates, it absolutely does. Yeah, that that ties in directly to um, I think what one of the the easiest ways to gain leverage on the field is leaving salary on the table on these main slates. You rarely see successful lineups leave, except for very unique late swap scenarios. You don't see teams leave more than two hundred dollars. Like you almost never even see team winning teams with three hundred dollars on on a full slate um, on this slate. And I think when when I talked about that example about the the defensive the switch to defense. I want to say that it left something like $1,300 on the table, and that might be why nobody had that lineup. But something like that simple switch where you have this optimal, if the optimal includes a $4,000 defense and you could go down to a $3,000 defense, just not that many people are going to want to do it. Um, it's really okay. Like, don't leave $3,000 on the table like like you might in, in Showdown or something like that. But if you leave eight, nine hundred, a thousand $1,000 on the table, maybe even a little bit more, um, I think that's definitely fine. And in a situation where you only have digs and CD, if you build a lineup without either of those, you might find yourself in that scenario and be thinking like, there's no way this can be the right thing. Um, I think if you're leaning into leverage plays and, and emphasizing correlation, um, I, I think that might even be optimal. 
Yeah, I totally, I, I totally agree. And remember, there's more than one way. Go back to our game theory segment on leverage. There's more one, yeah. more than one way to gain leverage. There's certainly a ton of ways in this upcoming slate. Yeah, definitely. Um, any last thoughts on on short on the upcoming or just on short slate strategy at all? I just want to reemphasize TJ's point. I just play tournaments on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think it's more for the fun of it. And uh, I I truly think it's one of the most fun slates of the year for the NFL. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic slate. And again, we um, we won't be back here to cover the slate specifically, but we'll have plenty of content on 444 leading up to the slate. Um, if you're enjoying the DFS MVP and you're on YouTube, please check out the podcast. If you're listening on the audio, please check out our YouTube. Please rate and review. If you are a listener on iTunes, please like and subscribe to the 444 channel. If you're on YouTube, just a reminder that the DFS MV, uh, the DFS subscription price is down to $49. So please support us by checking that out and being able to win some money on this slate. Use all of our DFS tools. Use DFS MVP to get 10% off. That's the code you can use. And if you are still looking for another way to get the DFS sub, head over to 444.com slash prize picks to get $20 to get a subscription for as little as $20. If you're a new prize picks user, please check out our other DFS shows. The cash game review is 2 PM Eastern time on Mondays on YouTube. Every Saturday Yahoo DFS values with uh, Matt Harmon is on uh, the DFS MVP and the Yahoo podcast feed. And every Sunday morning at 11 AM Eastern time, the subscriber only discord chat GPP last look with Jordan Vanek. Just a reminder for that Thanksgiving schedule, all of our Thanksgiving content will be out Wednesday. Everything else is being pushed to Saturday. If you're a 444 subscriber and if you are a watcher or lister of the DFS MVP, we're back next week, Saturday, noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, not on Friday. Please follow us on Twitter, 444 is at 444 football. Matt's a draftaholic. I'm at TJ Hernandez. We'll talk to you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving, all. Happy